So hello, my name is Lisa and I enjoy productivity at 3 a.m. My name is Rodney and despite the fact that we are now recording episode one, I still do not have a microphone. And this is Nuance IRL, a podcast where two earth signs navigate the world and media landscape as Black femmes because life really does imitate art and sometimes nuance is required. So Rodney... This is the first episode. I feel like it's only right that, well, first of all, we should probably really actually introduce ourselves, but we should also talk about how we know one another. So my name is Lisa. I am the founder of Mental Realness Mag for Black Femmes by Black Femmes, period. And I am a digital content creator, which just means I'm in my mid to late 20s and I make TikTok still. So that is me. <laughs> Please be sure to check out my magazine. It's fantastic. I'm probably just going to read my Instagram bio. I feel like that truly encompasses who I am and what I do. Uh, it says here, writer, multidisciplinary creative, occasional cosplayer, full-time critical thinker, part-time overthinker. I thought I was real clever with that one. <laughs> Hoop earring enthusiast. There we go. And also, Rodney, don't forget, you are, um, I say founder of Mental Runners Mag for myself, but, you know, we are actually co-founders, as people may or may not know. That's true. I remember you, like, pitching your ideas and stuff when we were in our, like, crappy little apartment. And now we're in different, <laughs> I'm in a different crappy little apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm searching for a crappy little apartment as I currently live at home with my family how times have changed but the love stays the same me and Rodney met in college when we were teenagers the first time I met Rodney she had on a Canadian tuxedo which I feel like that's a misnomer because she's from Philadelphia so that's just (laughs) what they wear out there it wasn't (laughs) maybe a Philadelphia tuxedo would be much better and she was acting like she ain't like me what they always play hard to get and um, we moved in with each other the next year. <laughs> <laughs> a true love story. But actually, I was buzzing with anxiety that day. I felt like Lisa and her friends were the coolest people I had like seen since like I don't know when. And Rashawn, Sean was the one who was like, "I got these friends, and I you you just like them, y'all the shea butter shorties." And so he brought me. It, I forget where it was on campus. It felt like he was like my dad. He's like, go ahead, go make friends with the other with the other little girls. And yeah, I got up and put that fit together because I was like, I'm not going to look like anything meeting these people. I've seen their Instagrams. They are not going to drag me. I think we should also discuss Rodney has a way of remembering things. If I could just add this, the cool people, it, it's 2016. Let me set the expectations. It's 2016. <laughs> we all just had dyed hair. <laughs> much one of us had green hair i think maybe one of us had blue hair but to be fair that's all it took in 2016 also consider catholic school from kindergarten to 12th grade the interesting thing that i kind of want to take away from that story is that this is the first time i'm hearing that we were referred to as shea butter shawties that is not like i feel like shea butter shawty is like the equivalent to um hotep men to be transparent that was the type of time he thought you guys were kind of on. Not in the not in the same type of hotepery, but like he had seen y'all drag people on Twitter for being problematic. 
her. And he's heard me drag people in my dorm room for being problematic, but I had no confidence and would not do it on Twitter because I was afraid until later that year. And I think it's because I met you that year. Do you know what's so funny about this whole story? He was like, oh, I know some other bullies. Y'all would get along well. (laughs) The funny thing too about like, dragging people on twitter is like it does seem daunting at that time we've grown we've evolved but you realize that like you could talk crazy to anybody as long as you had the funnier thing to say i mean it's still true like that to a degree but it's just like you know what i'm saying if you are still at your big age homophobic and transphobic and colorist and all these things you quite frankly don't have the chops to go toe-to-toe you can talk to them as crazy as you want to These niggas can't think critically. They're not fast on their feet. And I think that was something that I learned being around you guys. I think he also thought we had similar aesthetics. So he was like, yeah, you look and sound like them. Go be friends with them. It's fucked up because that worked. It did. And I'm forever grateful to him. Our roommate stint was also one for the books. Me and Rodney were married at that time. Um... I was unaware that we've been divorced. We, again, are delving into a lot of things this podcast. But it was a real love story. I would um go to the fresh grocer down the street. I would steal our groceries and we were eating good chicken Alfredo every night. And I would kill the bugs because she refused to. Period. And we're still together. So not so much on my for you page, but just generally speaking, I don't know if you've been seeing people talk about the big groove guy. He used to go by the grooving gorilla. For anybody who does not know, Big Groove, uh, formerly known as the Grooving Gorilla, is just this big Nigerian dude who got famous for dancing. It's giving minstrel show 2023. And that is exactly what the folks are saying. Like, I guess initially he had an audience of like, I'm assuming his audience was probably Black people at first because it was Black Twitter that had initially kind of like whether they liked it or not they pushed the content they would always post clips of him dancing even if it was just to make fun of him and at first it was just okay a big dude light on his feet like you could not like it but there's not really a whole bunch that's wrong with that except maybe it's making you uncomfortable and now he has mad followers on tiktok in particular and the content has shifted to say the least This man is in restaurants eating chicken and watermelon with his mouth wide open. I'm talking all 32 teeth. You go with what you know. That's the oldest form of entertainment in American media. So the formula unfortunately works. Very true. Unfortunately, it does work. But people have finally been getting into the conversation as to like why it's harmful. And it, it is harmful for a variety of reasons. I mean, the exaggerated motions, showing all of your teeth, the dancing before food. I mean, honestly, that's not a great look generally, but they do have screen caps of him really about to go in on some watermelon or really going in on some chicken. And it's like, out of all the foods in particular, as we know, <laughs> these are the ones that are most stereotypically associated with Black people, for better or for worse. Obviously, there's nothing inherently wrong with watermelon or for chicken, but the image of somebody, a big Black dude, smiling with all his teeth, making excited noises, 
just being very large and almost like scaring people as he's enjoying all of this food with all of his teeth and making these very exaggerated faces obviously does lead into minstrelsy. And sometimes I wonder how aware of it these people initially are until someone like tells them because this person likely didn't set out to do exactly what they're doing now so it's like did someone make the suggestion for him to lean into the stereotype or did he kind of just pick up on like people's responses and was like hmm maybe they want this and this will get me like where I want to be I definitely feel like it's the latter just because when he initially started like that's the thing when he initially started and again I was never really a big fan of this person so I can only say what popped up on my timeline or my for you page but he was just dancing like he was just dancing and after you hit a certain following on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram mostly TikTok I would say you are then given the opportunity to niche yourself a bit and you're also given the opportunity to make money off of your brand and a fantastic way to make money is to go to restaurants try their food tell people about it make videos in these establishments so that you can bring people there so it's like do I think somebody said, you know what, you need the largest slice of watermelon known to man <laughs> and you need to go in on it and that will bring you engagement? Or do I just think that like, he was just like, you know what, I'm a big dude, you know, he works out a lot, clearly, I need to eat, I'm going to enjoy this food and make some money in the meantime, bring it to these restaurants and the engagement will kind of force him to do everything else. I'm sure the videos with him making those exaggerated movements get more engagement. I'm sure the videos of him dancing in public and I don't want to say making a fool of himself, but like he and is and is yes, a buffoon and in public. Like obviously those are going to get the most engagement because as you said, minstrelsy is the oldest form of entertainment in America and America's main export is media. <laughs> so now the world loves to see it. So to your point, yes, I do think that there is a conversation to be had about who is falling into this purposefully or who has kind of been pushed into it. And also, does it make a difference? Mm, no. <laughs> it's. I think it's a matter of like how many people need to be held accountable. So is it just this person being a dickhead or is it a team, an advisory team of dickheadetry? Rodney, this is the nuance we're talking about. Fantastic. <laughs> no, because you're absolutely right. It is kind of like, it really doesn't make a difference. It's just like, who can I hold accountable for this? The answer is all of them. I will absolutely be holding all of them accountable. You are completely right. But I think it's also important. Like, I don't think people know by and large, like where some of these tropes come from or why they're so comforting for people. Like people really enjoy, for instance, like the mammy. Like, even if they don't know that the mammy is a harmful Black media trope, they enjoy a Black woman who's like, hey, baby, hey, hun, let me take care of this. Always with the Southern accent. Always with the, oh, now that's the tell. <laughs> that's the tell. If you didn't think it was racist, I think the Southern accent should kind of hint you towards it. But yeah, people don't know that that's why they keep seeing these tropes. People don't know that they're harmful. Rodney, please. You 
have one of the largest brains I've ever seen. No, I just have a really big forehead. <laughs> it's custom. But I must ask you, Rodney, please use your large gorilla grip brain to explain to folks what are the media tropes? Tell us some of the media tropes. So you can kind of go back to the foundations of these tropes. A lot of them were first seen in Birth of a Nation as far as like a, a mainstream media type of deal because it was like the first film that was like shown at the White House. It was like really influential. Because of that movie, you see an uptick of like the clan. I think they got almost the most members they ever got. There's like three or four waves of them getting a whole bunch of enrollment, but that was one of them. And then it is also followed by like one of the deadliest summers. I think it is the summer of 1917, like one of the deadliest summers in terms of lynching. So this movie absolutely played a direct hand and direct role in violence against Black people. And it works like any other type of propaganda. It gets people to believe something about like a certain group or a topic and black people were the hot topic indeed. Still so are. It, it's a way of explaining to white people like why they should view the black people that they're around in this way. So it's like, you should be against them. Here's all the reasons they're you know all these stereotypical things about them and this is why you should hate them because this is the only way that they can be and there was all types of nut shit that they put in that movie i think they just had they were supposed to be like a black caucus it was all blackface i'm pretty sure i don't think they had like a actual black person in there at all it was all blackface they were supposed to have like a black caucus and like no one had shoes on <laughs> like which is just so random but it was just them nobody had shoes on uh you know there was a the brute in the movie was trying to attack this lily white woman and she threw herself was it off a of like cliff? off a cliff she literally throws herself off of a cliff or so like to, to that effect yes so you find a lot of the harmful tropes originate from there and even like some of the tropes too uh i don't know this specific to birth of a nation but talking about like a chicken and watermelon and why that's even a stereotype black people were sort of able to have land of their own whether it was like through sharecropping or if they'd actually been able to afford to buy it like you know after slavery after slavery <laughs> um uh it was really cheap to produce chickens and and watermelon so they were able to make more money. So those two things became symbols of economic mobility for Black people. And in order to kind of like stop that positive shift from happening, white supremacy turned them into like stereotypical, you know, giving people more ammo, I guess, as far as like degrading us. So mm, you have the Sambo, the lazy like layabout an enslaved person who um is trying to shirk his responsibilities like that's essentially um the like childification of like a grown black man and then you have the mammy which we referenced earlier she is sexless she you know exists to serve um is really docile is the homemaker usually heavy set, usually dark skinned when they're depicted? Um, and we can get into all the reasons of that is very intentional imagery. Um, the pickaninny is the little slave child. Um, they're usually depicted as like these unruly little gremlin looking black children. 
Um, and then there's a Jezebel, the hypersexual woman that you can't, you know, assault her because she is so sexually deviant. When people say little black girls are fast, like that's what that energy is. Like they're projecting that the energy of like the Jezebel onto like black women. Yeah. Um, so it is like heavily sexualized black woman. There's the the Uncle Tom. Yes. I don't know how else to say, but like Uncle Ruckus. You said it all. That's like the one trope I think everybody knows. I don't think people even know that's a trope. Like, I think they're just like, that that nigga's cool at a bit. What other ones can I think of? Oh, the brute. I don't think we covered that one. You take that one. So the brute, it's just a basically like animalistic black man, large black man usually very strong, usually always chasing after white women who do not want his advances. I mean, honestly, you can talk about how that probably has evolved currently because maybe it's not so much that the advances are unwanted now, but that they are constantly moving in on usually white women because it's like a juxtaposition of like, oh, this big black nigga like wants to, I don't know, mess with this quote unquote little white girl. We could even talk about that, that phrasing in and of itself, but that is the brute. Wow, niggas love juxtaposition. That is like the core of everything that has virality and has always had virality in like when it comes to media and stereotypes and how stereotypes are shorthand in storytelling. A white person dancing in a room full of black people dancing, but the reason the video goes viral is because oh, white boy has rhythm and then it becomes this whole Oh, how was this white boy able to like whine? He's not Caribbean or whatever. How he do the cha cha slide? Literally, it's the juxtaposition. That is like shorthand storytelling, like right there. It's like these are two things that shouldn't go together, but you're putting them together. That's so odd. Ha ha. Like that's the entertainment factor. No, that's very true. And I think a lot of those tropes thrive to this day because of juxtapositioning. Like, I mean, well, that's why they were created in the first place anyway, was to uh, distance black people in media and in real life from their white counterparts. So even like uh, the difference between the mammy and let's just say like a regular mother figure even is just like, she is just this, usually just this black woman that is just helping white people along in their life's journey. Like you don't get any information about her. She's almost like the odd one out. Interestingly enough, you get like no more information about her. You don't know about her family, her friends. She almost certainly has children as well. Oh, and the other thing about the Mammy archetype that I find very interesting is that the thing is she's supposed to have a family. Like the Mammy very rarely does not have kids or like a husband or whoever of her own. She has family, but she treats them shitty. And she's supposed to be really nice and like the perfect caretaker to these white children, like very uh, nurturing and whatnot. So even that juxtaposition, she's this black lady in this white space, one, usually by herself. And two, she treats her family so harshly. But of course, for this white family, she's the perfect caretaker. Also included in the the Mamie trope, the reason they make her what white people would consider to be like unattractive, like heavy set, dark skin, blah, 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 is because she's specifically not supposed to be a threat to the woman of the house, the yeah. white woman of the house. So it's like nothing about her can be appealing to my husband. Like that was another reason. And we could talk about the desexualization of women who fall into categories that 
people would associate with the mammy. Thank you so much for adding that extra, extra nuance. <laughs> because I do yeah. think it is important, especially when you talk about like the Jezebel, because the Jezebel's whole thing is that the Jezebel is created as an answer to white men repeatedly doing the things that they did to black women throughout enslavement and afterwards. It can't be these white men's fault that they are so attracted to these black women, that they are having children with these black women. Of course, it's the black woman. She's very curvaceous. She's so quote unquote, sexually liberated. And on the flip side of that, for black men in the group, character to be so hypersexualized and hypersexual so it's them always initiating with you know the white women that you know we have to hide and protect but the reality of it was that so many of them would get caught having sex with enslaved black men and would just be like oh like yeah so it is interesting that a lot of these tropes also kind of do uh reflect the shortcomings of white people is they're just scapegoats really you know what I mean it's not that you're treating black people so bad it's that it's a it's the sambo he he can't take care of himself I need to jump in I need to take care of these folks I need to be paternalistic it's not that oh you know what I mean I'm consistently harassing and assaulting black women it's that they they just can't keep their hands off of me. They're always enticing me. They can never say no. All these other things. It's not that I'm consistently putting Black children in situations where historically either their parents have to work all the time to take care of them or their parents have to invest much of their time into taking care of other children, particularly white children, maybe their moms, in line with the mammy archetype, is that, oh, these Black children are just unkept. It's not that these Black children have natural hair is that their hair just isn't done. It's that nobody's taking care of them. It's just like all of the ills of white supremacy are thrown onto Black people with these media tropes, and that is why it is so harmful. And then you get into the sapphire, which I believe is like the like OG version of the angry Black woman trope. And like she, which you mentioned earlier about the mammy being like unkind to her actual family. That's like where the sapphire comes in. And that's where you get the, oh, like black women hate black men. Like, because the goal is to show that our family units are like backward or whatever, that there's like this dictating black woman as a leader of the family and this like lazy can't do anything right like black man is her husband who can't take care of his family we could have a whole episode just talking about how that even plays into dynamics we i, I don't want to get into it <laughs> we'll be talking about it for hours but how that plays into quote-unquote black family dynamics currently and at least how that's viewed but nuance <laughs> there's so many other things to talk about such as the nuclear family being a complete uh uh, result of white supremacy or the fact that matriarchal family setups are something that are African. A lot of African societies had that setup. There's nothing inherently wrong with there being a woman being the head of the household or or being the one that's primarily taking care of her household. There's nothing wrong with uh, her taking charge in that way. But again, uh, we can talk about that for hours. <laughs> yeah, just that it's contrary to what they deemed as the natural order under white supremacy. 
a lot of the things that they don't understand about black people then become a trope and become even the dancing like i mean you know dancing or you know depending on how some people do it the shocking and jiving is because <laughs> i mean there were literally papers written during enslavement talking about how africa i mean they wrote it themselves it's crazy talking about how Africans have better rhythm, that they have more rhythm, they're better dancers. I mean, you would think that somebody wrote this as a self-roast. Like, there are literal documents from white people saying, these folks can really dance. <laughs> they're better than us. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, then that becomes something, that becomes neg negative stereotype as well. Because even the big group guy, like, even if you took away some of the more recent things people are talking about, there is still that idea of like depending on who your audience becomes you are now dancing for white folks and the history that that carries and then the other interesting thing about these black media tropes is that it affects black people generally because that's how you're uh, affecting the gaze but it's also very particular to african-americans people who descended from um chattel slavery in the united states in such a way that if you're not from here, even people who are from here do not know necessarily the full scope of all of these tropes. But the person we're talking about, he's Nigerian. I don't even know if he was born here. I, I, I don't know for sure, but I do know he's Nigerian. So it's like, it makes sense if your family recently immigrated here that you would not know what the media landscape looked like here in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, and why that's harmful and why it still includes you, even though your family would not have been here. Your family was not the one that was technically being talked about just by virtue of, I mean, we're all West African, realistically, just by virtue of looking like us, you are now included within that. I had a friend who was Nigerian and wasn't really aware that these tropes existed <laughs> why you uh, i laugh so like they're not nigerian anymore <laughs> <laughs> they changed their ways <laughs> i'm sorry what about them in the tropes um <laughs> when one of those videos got released like i think it was like um you know how like the the black male internet comedians be yeah. They make videos and the thing is offensive. And it was like, you know, a stereotype that was like similar to what we're talking about. And they kind of didn't really get why I was like irritated by it, I don't think. And I was like, oh, like, what What do you think this means? And they were like, oh, it's just this, this and this. And I'm like, no, it's like a really offensive stereotype. And I showed them clips from this movie, Ethnic Notions documentary. Yes. Yeah. And they were like, oh, I didn't even know that it was like this bad. Like, and I'm like, yeah. So like you kind of have to again nuance. Nuance. Aside from just just knowing like that these things happen historically, but like being able to see how, like you said, now I'm included in this. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be aware that it's like not just this group of people whose history I don't really share necessarily in the same way. And I think these conversations are intertwined, I guess, in the sense that, like, it depends on who your audience is. Now, obviously, Nigeria, if we're just going to keep using that as an example, is a predominantly Black country. What, truly, if you were around other Black people, what is harmful about eating chicken? However you want to eat it. You get what I'm saying? If those are the only people that are around you, like, 
you're not necessarily performing for a white gaze. Now, nuance required with that as well, because you absolutely could be leaning into harmful stereotypes only around other Black people, but the impact is different, in my opinion. So if you are from a predominantly Black country and the you know interactions you're having are with other Black people, the things you're doing are with other Black people, the media to a degree or, you know, is thought of and produced with other Black people in mind, and not just other Black people, but people who are culturally similar to a degree, at least, not, you know, minimizing the different ethnic groups that live there, but saying people who are relatively culturally similar. Obviously, the way that you would dissect media or take things in with that being the group of people who are mostly taking it in, it's going to be different than a country like this, where almost every, you know, it's predominantly white. And outside of that, it is a very racist country. So almost all of the media, you know, if it hits a certain amount of viewership, then becomes uh, like mainstream and then becomes for a white audience. So you may not see anything harmful about somebody smiling with all their teeth and dancing all the time and biting into watermelon because there's nothing technically inherently harmful about these things. It's just that they're associated with a trope and that they are done with the white gaze to dehumanize Black people. But if there's no white, if there's no white gaze, you know what I'm saying, then the impact is different. And I would argue is really not as harmful because maybe if you're in a restaurant and you're the only Black person, maybe you wouldn't get fried chicken with watermelon as a side. Like maybe you personally wouldn't do that, even though there's nothing wrong with either of those foods. But if you're around Black people, why aren't you, if it was just Black people, Black people you're comfortable around, family, friends, whatever, if you like watermelon fried chicken, why would you not eat those things? Like what's, what would be harmful about that? Is that what you like to order when you go to restaurants, Lisa? You know. <laughs> I just think that those things are different, but it does call into question, at what point are you these tropes accidentally or at all? Or what? at what point are you these tropes purposefully? And does it make a difference, really? Like you said, with the, with the big group guy, it's like, even if he didn't set out and say, I'm going to make a mockery, <laughs> Even if he didn't write that down in the Google Docs, like, step one, <laughs> create a fan base. Step two, make a mockery. Step three, destroy the world. Even if he didn't write that down, does that change the fact that it happened? Even if he just said, I just want to eat a whole bunch. I'm a big guy. I just want to eat. I got a bulk and I want to dance and, you know, do whatever. Even if that was his intention, you know, was it kind of inevitable that he would become this guy? Rodney, why are you laughing? <laughs> why are you laughing? The three-step plan to just get Molly Watt by your ancestors. That is such, that is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine him at like a whiteboard. <laughs> He's on step three. We should be very afraid. He is on step three. I don't know. I will also say, like, even with all of that, I kind of feel bad for the dude because his content wasn't his initially, like, someone like King Bach, like, I don't feel bad for him. Like, he he did write that list down. He did write that list down. <laughs> I've seen the list with my own eyes. I know he wrote it down. This other guy, I think he really just enjoys dancing and being a goofy guy and, like, if you're not aware of these things, you're going to fall into them. He's just in a silly, goofy mood. He's just been in a silly, goofy mood. <laughs> Are we wrong for that? Is someone wrong for that? 
it's just so messed up because there's other people like you know what I mean I I don't want to say names because it, I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying this person's a mammy <laughs> because that's pretty fucked up but like if you are a black woman primarily a heavyset black woman and a non-light-skinned black woman at that and you're someone who is the therapist friend you're very welcoming you pour into people more than they pour into you and again none of these things necessarily are your fault they're also the way people are used to socialize with you if this is what the role they think you play then they're going to force you into that role and within that you could become a mammy does that mean that you're a bad person because you're heavy set and non-white skin no clearly does it mean you're a bad person because you want to help other people and you put people before yourself i mean maybe we could talk about boundaries but i don't think that would make you a bad person that just is who you are at that point the question is really who do we hold responsible for white people's perception of us and how much we try to combat it because you could argue that anyone who just happens to exist in any of these categories even if they don't sit themselves in that box if someone else perceives them in that way how much can they really stop that from happening no that's a good point and you're absolutely right who can we blame white people (laughs) (laughs) who are we giving our flowers to this week rodney what femme gets their flowers I'm going to say Tabitha Brown. Just because people want to project that like sweet Southern mammy thing onto her, um, which is like really gross. But I think she's very clear about like setting boundaries with people online. Like she's this very sweet, soft spoken, like, but you know, she'll tell somebody like about themselves if they step out of bounds. And I don't think that she should have to do those things, but I think she's like very clear in her content being her content outside of what other people want to project onto her. Cause I've seen people like try to like trauma dump in her comment section, real weird energy. And she's like, very like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's a good pick. I think that's really, I'll also add, um we could have a we will have a whole other episode about them but quinta and Issa, of course i think it's very hard to navigate both digitally and then on tv i think it's very hard to stay true to yourself in an industry that is racist and that does want to make a quick buck off of black people and i think using the opportunities that were available to them they have made very authentic content that actually shows the realities of being a black person in this country without minimizing our experience or dehumanizing us and i think they're also very funny and i like their hair so i will be giving them flowers for all of the above this has been nuance irl where two angry Black women try to close curtains on the minstrel show. Now it's time for us to log off, so we'll BRB. See y'all next week.